This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 4. We're on the second half of this chapter. We've been working our way through Ephesians. It just so happens that we came across this passage of Scripture um, in line with what we talked about on Sunday, those, that about uh, making your words um, edifying. And so th- th- this, is sort of, this passage almost dovetails on what we talked about on Sunday, the holiness of God, only comes at it from a different perspective. We are changed human beings. Pete said it earlier. We talked about it in our, in our worship. How many of you believe you've been changed? 100% you're changed, yes. Yeah, raise your hand. Nice and, come on, give glory to the Lord. You've been changed. Amen, amen. We're claiming to that, that full change that the Lord has worked in our life, and it's absolutely crucial for us to, to live in the freedom. See, God wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to be bound up all the time. He doesn't want you to be bound up by religions and do's and don'ts. And, and when we talked on Sunday about the holiness of God, you can feel the enemy trying to twist that into a sort of a, a religious thing that you have to do. That's the, it's the glory of, of the children of the Lord to be able to, to experience the holiness of God and to, and to be able to enter in. In fact, God doesn't say, I'm holy, so stay far away. My, God says, I'm holy, so draw near. That's what he says, you know. But religion makes us say, well, I'm not good enough. And that's the, we understand you're not good enough, but that's why God, the holy God sent his son to die for you and I so that we could be the kind of people that we could be changed. And so I want to talk to you about dark thinking. We've been, we've been thinking about in, in patterns and ways and the, the way we lived our life for so long, that pattern of darkness clouds our vision and clouds our ability to be able to see things the way God sees things. When I came to know the Lord, I began to see life completely different than I did before I knew the Lord. You know, when I when I knew before I knew the Lord, I thought it was all about feeling good and partying and getting high. And you know, if you die young, you leave a good-looking corpse and all that kind of stuff. And then I realized that God has a purpose and a plan for my life, and that His purpose and plan is to do something through me. And so God can God can use anyone. Look at look at me. Point at me and say, God can use anyone. Look at Him. Oh, some of you are not bold enough to point your finger at me. Even him. Go ahead. You could do it. Just try it again. God could use even him. Right there. There. Even him. You have no idea. If I could bring in some of my old girlfriends, you know, you would, they would be more than happy to tell you what a jerk I was before I was saved. If I could bring my wife in, she would say, I'm not completely delivered from jerkdom. But she would say, I'm better than I used to be. Right? Amen? So, so we're better. We're better. We've, we've been better. Uh, we're better now than we've ever been in our life. We're growing f- closer and closer to the Lord. Our, our prayer lives are, are growing, and so we have to break the bondage. So Paul says in, in verse 17, he says, uh, so I insist on it in the Lord. I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and when you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here again, we're talking about this dark thinking, the patterns of dark thinking. So look here in the scripture, it says, don't, don't, I insist that you stop living, walking, that technically is the term, but it means to live a life, walk out a life, to live out a life like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Futility here is just the word for emptiness or vanity or, or just nothing, just nothingness. It's an empty way of life. It's being just drifting from one thing. And so many of us were drifting from one thing to another. And it's, it's easy for us to come into the church and then feel aimlessly moving around, just kind of shifting from one side to the other side without really having a purpose or, or, or direction. God wants to give us direction. So we have to rebuke the dark thinking that kind of locks us in to this empty, empty way of thinking. Futility means empty. It means a, a, a vanity. It means there's nothing there. And so that, that process is there. It says that, that the futility of their thinking darkened their minds in their understanding. So this, their, their ability to grasp and, and comprehend the way things really are, both in the natural and certainly in the spiritual, are compromised. Those things are compromised because of the darkness of their thinking. The way we, the patterns of my thinking, the patterns of your thinking without the cross keep us in the dark. And it's interesting that Paul is saying this to believers. He's obviously saying that you, you have been delivered, you have been redeemed, you have been bought with a price, you are the possession of God, you are his holy possession, he's given to you his Holy Spirit, and yet there's still this way of thinking that needs to change on the inside of you. God doesn't change your way of thinking, but you have to change your way of thinking as a response to God. And we, and we, and we see that very clearly here. He's going to talk about it for just a few minutes about how that, that, that comes to us. But th this way of thinking, we have to re-educate, reorient our minds so that our mind doesn't, doesn't get locked down into that darkness, that negativity, that, that spiritual blindness that doesn't allow us to, be, to see what it is that's really happening all around us. It amazes me that people are so dull. Uh, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said that of his own disciples. Are you still so dull? After they'd walked with him for years, he would look at them and say, I can't believe you guys don't see this. I can't believe you don't get this. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're trying to tell them about how much God loves them and about how God uh, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that he would come and die for them, and they're looking at you like you just stepped off a spaceship. They do not get it. They do not understand what you're saying. And the more you explain it, the weirder you feel to them as you're explaining that. And, and, and what you do is you double down. No, God really loves you. And they don't hear it. They don't, it does, it's meaningless to them because they're blinded by the, the immaturity of their mind, the emptiness, the futility of their thinking. And this dark thinking, these dark thoughts bring them down into this place where their understanding is blocked. They can't, they can't get a hold of that. Now, this dark thinking also works because in their life because they become hardened. Their hearts become hardened. If we look again in the scripture, it says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. That's a, that's a powerful thing. 
the results of this dark thinking are separation from the, from the life of God. I will, for one, tell you, I know of a fact, that there are ways that I think sometimes that separate me from God's life. That doesn't mean I'm not saved. It means that there are life-giving ways, like we talk about Sunday, life-giving ways when that's the way we're supposed to walk in them. But I, as I walk away from those things, as I embrace something new, that darkened thinking separates me from God's life. And then it says that they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So the, the further we step away from God, the less revelation. The less revelation we have in our hearts, the hard, more hardened our hearts become. The more hardened our hearts become, even further revelation is blocked. You understand how? The, if you turn with me, if you have a minute, turn with me. I guess you have a minute. You're here. Now turn with me in Romans chapter one, and then we'll see this very similar cycle of this judgment that comes upon us. Okay, where's Romans? It was right here just a minute ago. And so, in Romans chapter one. Paul is writing in, uh, he's, he's writing and he's, he's talking to them about the ways of the world and the, the, how God planned the world. And, and so in verse 18 it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So you see there there's this, this wrath of God is currently, Paul saying, is currently being revealed, is being poured out on those that are restricting or constricting the truth and, and, and forbidding revelation. And then he says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave, him, gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, same word, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for degrading their, their, the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. This continues to go on through a cycle of restricting revelation and then being, because they restrict revelation or, and, and in doing so they now have established themselves as being disobedient. Now revelation can't be received by them and now they are led further astray. The more they embrace that sin, the more they, that sin now turns them around so that it puts them even further under God's judgment. And so there's this giant cycle that just keeps working through humanity where they rebel against God and then they come under the wrath of God. And what, what does God do when he pours out his wrath in the current, not, not in the future, in the future he's going to destroy planets and that kind of stuff. But in the, future, in the, in the present, when God pours out his his wrath on us, he says, okay, you want to worship idols, then I give you over to those idols. That's scary for us. Because that means that we can willfully allow ourselves to be put into bondage to something. We can will our own bondage by refusing revelation. We can will our own bondage into a specific bondage, and then the cycle begins all over again. And then God warns us about 
going further into that, and it then it gets into the idea of sensuality or sexuality. Then there's a, a resistance or a revelation, and then you get locked down into this, this wrathful position, and now God says, okay, you want to do that? I'll, I'll let you do that. You, you go do that. It's not without cause. It's not without uh, a price to pay, but you're locked into that, and then the cycle begins, goes even further and further and further and further. Humanity drifts away from the everlasting, eternal, loving God. That's really sad, but, but that's why Paul is saying to us that we have to grab a hold of this dark thinking and bring it under control in our life so that we, so that we never have to be uh, uh, driven away from what God is doing. So the results of dark thoughts, back in Ephesians here, the results of dark thoughts is that we are separated from God's life, not just eternally, but also in the current place and in, in now. The life, God wants to give, give you life and give me life in our, in our everyday purpose. He wants, to, you know, he wants to, every day his life to be flowing through us. He wants us to be empowered by his life. And so what happens is when we get locked into that darkened thinking, we, we reject the life of God flowing through us. And so you see Christians, who's the, who is the most powerful Christian? You know who he is? Any Christian who uses the name of Jesus has the same power, right? But when a Christian is locked down into that darkened thinking, they defeat themselves before the battle has even begun. They no longer have expectation. They no longer have revelation. They no longer have, the, have impartation into their life, and so they reject those things because they re refuse to give away the blindness and begin to receive the new spiritual light that he's pouring into us. So the results of the dark thoughts are being separated from God's life and being given over to sensuality, this idea of always kind of trying to find the new perversion. The perversion is like this, isn't it? That you do, you do one thing for a while and then that's not enough. Then you go a little further and that's not enough. And then you, 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 you go a little further and that's not enough. And it's just like drawing you down the wormhole, trying to, trying to draw you away from the life of God. And sensuality can do that. Sensuality is simply living uh, for, for our senses, a hedonism, a, a, a living, living for, the, for the sheer joy of pleasure of the moment. It's, isn't it amazing to you how many miserable millionaires there are? Right? How happy would you be if you had a million dollars tonight? I said, how happy would you be if you had a million God is listening. How happy would you be? Because maybe he wants to make you happy. So I would tell him, Lord, I would be happy, happy, happy if you give me a million dollars tonight. But you know what? Uh, people who have millions find out that the millions brings millions of problems. I'm not saying that we don't want millions. I'm saying you would think that if that was the answer to it, that, that, but there's so many people, so many millionaires, so many, so many rock stars and people who are well-known actresses and stuff who end their lives over small, minuscule things when it seems like they have the world eating out of the palm of their hand. Why is that? It's because they're being drawn down the wormhole further and further away from spiritual life. Only when your soul is really alive can you find happiness in the state that you're at. And whether that's being a millionaire or whether that's being impoverished, it makes no difference. God can give you joy right where you are right now. You don't have to wait for the numbers of the lotto to find out whether you can have joy this week. You can have joy right now. Isn't that good news? You say, well, how come I don't have it? Well, did you ask for it yet today? Right? Have you put Jesus first and others uh, ahead of yourself? You know, that's the, that's the old 
childhood thing. Jesus, others, you. That's joy. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. You put Jesus first, put others before yourself, and then serve yourself last, and you'll begin to find yourself living out the joy of the Lord. Anyway, that's just for free. So the results of dark thinking are being separated from God's life and being, being given over to sensuality. And then there's a greedy greed for experience sake, greed for monetary gain. There's this, this, this greedy thing, like, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. You go to, go to um, a buffet, right? Go to a buffet. What's the name of that place? We, uh, it's the Brazilian place, Fogo de Chao, right? I, you ever, how many of you have been to Fogo de Chao? Confess it here before the Lord. We'll, get, we'll have you forgiven right now. No, uh, we've been to Fogo de Chao. Raise your hand. Let, let's see. Right. And so now if you're like me, then you choose that you will not eat lunch that day because, <laughs> right? Because Fogo de Chao is expensive, right? And you want to get what? You want to get your money's worth, right? So you, you have determined you're going to get your money's worth, right? So as if you could eat $45 worth of steak. But you will try, right? You will try. You'll give it a try because you ain't no quitter, right? So you go in there and you determine. And they, what do they first say? Now before, we, before the, uh, the guys come around with the meat on the spits, isn't it glorious when they, do, they just come by? Yeah, I could do without the gaucho pants. But other than that, I think it's a, it's a glorious experience. They come by with the meat on the spit. And he said, before you do that, we have this wonderful salad bar. I mean, they have a killer salad bar, right, that is completely neglected, the loneliest lettuce on the face of the planet. Because people are like, no, I did not skip lunch so that I could come here and eat rabbit food. That's not why I came here. I came here to eat meat, right? This is a part, this is a, we all understand this because about 80% of us have been to this place, right? Because why? Because we had to experience this all you could. We have stop and go lights. I mean, they're paper, but stop and go lights. Like, no, no, I couldn't possibly. Okay, yeah, bring one more. Just like, yeah. And, and we just tell them, and we're telling them, no, don't bring all that food. Okay, yeah, just bring me down. And then, and, and they're bringing more and more food, and you're picking out the food, and it's, we love that kind of experience. You know, in the, in, the, uh, in the Roman times, the sin of gluttony was, was uh, practiced over and over again in these, these food orgies they would have where they would eat themselves till they were completely Thanksgiving, post-Thanksgiving stuffed to the rafters stuffed, right? That, you know, that, that's like... Bleh. This is so wrong, I can't eat anything more. And then they would walk out, and they had a big bucket that they could throw up in. Yeah, and they would throw, they would, right outside the door, throw up in that bucket, make themselves throw up, and go back in to the buffet so they could continue the giant food orgy. Just disgusting. Isn't that disgusting? I'm a fat guy, and even that's disgusting to me, you know. It's like, it's like, oh, I could never, I would never do that when someone could watch me. But I would, I would, I, I, but I have been known to eat pizza until there was nothing but cardboard, you know. You know, and, and so, so the, the idea is that we long for these greedy experiences. This thing, we don't need that, right? And it, when you go out and say, oh, I, you know, I, really, I really want to go out and have a six-ounce steak. No one ever says that, right? No one says, I just need six ounces of a prime rib. We want a 16-ounce prime rib or a 48-ounce porterhouse. 
I once ate a 48-ounce porterhouse. Lord, forgive me for that right now. I just, I know we've talked about this before, but I have a lack of faith, so I'm bringing it up again, Lord. 48 ounces. Wow, God, that's incredible. Why do we have places like that? I mean, at that place, when you walk in, that, that place, different place, not a, that's not Boca Chow, it's a different place. Why? Because it's, this is ubiquitous. It's everywhere in our culture. People from other countries, especially in Europe, they come here and they recognize that it is obscene that anyone would want a triple third pounder, you know, uh, chili, cheese, bacon, poisonator, you know, whatever, whatever they call it. It's obscene the amount of food. And, they, you know, you, and so if you go to visit Europe, they're going to give you this little thing, so you better be prepared to be disappointed. But it's going to give you this little thing because they haven't mastered gluttony like America has. What the apostle is writing is he's saying this incredible freedom. See, the liberty of the human spirit can be give way to license to sin so quickly, so easy. Liberty becomes licentiousness. Uh, liberty can abuse can somehow be something that we just use to, to satisfy our own desires, right? And it's it's criminal. It's a part of our because we our darkened thinking is it drives in and say, oh, it's just what I can get for me, right? In the 80s, the bumper sticker said, "He who dies with the most toys wins." That's what the bumper sticker used to say. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's ridiculous, right? Especially since you died. So the results of the dark thoughts are separated from God's life, given over to these sensual experiences, these greedy experiences, and then the loss of sensitivity one for another. And we see this every day in our newspapers and on our TV news. We see these exact things being replicated in our culture day after day after day. Now Paul says that we have to change the way we think. We have to throw off this, this darkened thing. You know, the, the pursuit of all this sensuality, the pursuit of all this greediness, the pursuit of all this stuff is to try to bring some kind of shallow happiness into our life. But you see, the only thing that can make you happy is the only thing that can make you free, and that's just Jesus. And so, so you find yourself in a place where you're smiling and nobody gets it. They don't know why. Why? How, why? He says, well, because there's a, a way of life that you've been given. You've been taught this way of life. Look, look again what he says. He says, he says, that's not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, that's not what you received when someone laid hands on you at the altar. This doesn't come through the revelation gate. This, doesn't come, this comes through the teaching gate. The teaching gate brings, the, brings the, the, the word to us, and we respond to the word by being obedient to the, to the teaching of Jesus. You, I would love to tell you that God is going to bring down gold dust on your hair and put a feather behind your ear and he's going to lift your feet up off the ground so that you walk around and all that's going to happen and you're going to get a revelation and that's how it's all going to happen for you but that's not how it happens at all for anyone that kind of revelation comes only to confirm the established word of God that you have been taught by 
teachers and pastors and, and people who have been teaching you the way. And when you heard that and you learned that, he said, you learned about a different way of life, not a way of life that is feed me, uh, please me, uh, make me happy, uh, do for me somehow, because that is the road to emptiness. That's the road, quite frankly, to suicide. The way to life is to, is to learn how to give. I just tell people when they say, you know, I'm really down. I just don't know, really know what God's doing in my life. I really, you know, go serve somebody. Just go pick somebody up off the street, bring them in, give them a, give them a bowl of soup and a, and, a, and a chunk of bread and watch them eat. Watch somebody who has nothing be thankful. Go break your back to help somebody do something that you would never do for anyone except for Jesus. Go do that. When you begin to practice servanthood, all of a sudden you begin to find joy in somebody's, the way, the way that somebody else responds to truth. So this truth is taught. He says, put off your old self. This is the word. The word put off can mean a lot of things. It can mean take off like, a, like clothing, and that's kind of how I take it. But it can also mean to divorce to divorce yourself from that old way of life. But put off, I, I kind of think it's more like put, taking off a set of clothes. Take off that set of that old you and put on the new you. The old you, he says, is currently, this is interesting, he said this old self is currently being corrupted by desires. Now, these are Christians. Unless we manage the garden of our mind, there's corruptors, snakes that try to move into the garden. Deceitful desires that come to try to trip us up. Doesn't mean we've lost out with God. It just means we haven't been diligent enough to protect our minds. He says, rather than do that, put on the new self and be renewed in the attitude of your mind so that your mind gets brand, so you no longer have these dark thoughts, but you bring in these, these new thoughts that come from, straight from God because you've been created for righteousness and holiness. And then he lists out these actions. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may, they may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we immediately exchange falsehood for truth. We, we embrace truth and we, we reject falsehood. It's, to lie in our society is so common that it's, it's, I mean, it's just common everyday practice for most people in our society. Instead, we become truth-tellers, especially to the body of Christ, those neighbors of ours who are members of the same body as we are. We speak truth to them. We don't try to shine them on. We don't try to lie to them, try to deceive them, because we recognize when we deceive them, since we're part of the same, same body, we're deceiving our own self. And so we speak the truth to one another. We give up. And so we see... What, what we see here is a representative of a group of, of things that are being done that, that demonstrate the power and the change of the Holy Spirit in our life. So where we used to lie, we no longer lie. Now, you know, I was a really, really good liar. I don't remember most of those lies, so I can't repeat them to you now, but I, I used to be a really good liar. 
quite adept at telling stories. And then I came to the Lord, and the Lord dealt with me on the ethical nature of my speech. Speak the truth. When we're, when we're used to shining stories, think of a, think of a relationship. You, in a relationship, you want to have truth as to be, to be the basis of your relationship. It's not easy, right? When my wife rings the phone and she's, she says, now don't be late, I want you to remember dinner's at 5.30 and the phone rings at 5.45 and I'm still sitting in my office working. I, I want to say... I want to say, um, hon, I'm being held kidnapped here. I want to say it's someone-so's fault. They, they may, I want to say, but instead I have to blurt out the truth, which I know is not going to make her happy. Right? I'm still at the office. What? Weren't you listening? Oh, she doesn't do that to me, but... It's been 30 years. She knows what I'm doing. Uh, but she's not happy. It would be easy just to tell her something to shut her up. I want, there are husbands in the building who just tell their wives something to shut them up. Right? Probably none in this room. But I'm just talking about other Christians And they just tell, why? Because we don't want, we're afraid of the consequences. No, it's not that I'm afraid. I just don't want the drama. Really? We want to be truthful to one another so that, the, listen, how much of a fit can you have with somebody who's, who's being truthful to you? It has to be short, right? You're right, I should have left 15 minutes ago. I'm on my way out right now. Talk to you in a minute. Right? And then, you know, by the time you get home, she's forgotten about it. Right? Or maybe not. Maybe there's your dog. The dog is eating your six-ounce ribeye. Exchange truth for lies. Oh, hey, man, thanks for praying for me. And you're like, eh. When have you ever asked someone to pray for you? And then later you go back to thank them for praying for you. And they go, you know what, I just told you I was going to pray for you. I never really did. But you know those people are in the body of Christ, right? Or they're like, oh, I forgot, you know. I do that when I'm fasting. I wake up in the morning and I go down and I've got ten kids sitting around the table and they're eating all kinds of, they eat peanut butter. Peanut butter in the morning to me is like crack. I just like... Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll have that. You know, are you going to eat the whole thing right there? I steal food from the babies. Yeah, Be, Because, I, and I forget, you know, I get up, I'm like, I'm going to pray, I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm not going to eat all day. I come down, I'll go peanut butter, and I put it in my mouth, and I'm chewing it before I realize the part of me that says, hey, dummy, you just said you were going to fast all day. Today. Yeah, tomorrow. Here's peanut butter today. We... Well, you're not very honest. It'd be easy to gloss over this idea of truth-telling. But we really have to be honest if we're going to be able to trust one another, right? Don't give the devil a foothold. What happens in your marriage when you lie in your marriage? What happens? 
the enemy has a place to put his foot so he can make a further ascent into your marriage. Isn't that the truth? Man, married couples in here don't understand that. And when children lie to their parents, it's a foothold for the enemy to come in there and pull them away. So we just keep, I used to tell my kids when they were little, listen, I don't care what you do, you tell me the truth, you won't get a spanking. Now, the downside of that was I never told them that they weren't going to get punished. They just weren't going to, you never got a spanking in my house for telling, you could say, I shot the neighbor, you know. But I did not shoot the deputy. No, you could say, I shot the, the neighbor and I would not spank you for, for murdering the neighbor as long as you confessed it to me. That didn't mean you wouldn't have to go to jail for the rest of your life. That wouldn't mean if you, if you, and so my kids, it took them a while to learn that, but, but they learned that there was a different set of punishment for that, you know. We have to be careful that we honor truth, truth telling, you know. Just because it's unpleasant, well, we have to, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Then he says, those of you who've been stealing, these are believers. Does that bother you a little bit? These are believers. Those of you who have been stealing, I don't think he's talking about pencils from the office. I don't think he's talking about, you know, taking an extra 10 minutes on your lunch break. Those of you who've been stealing, I think he's talking about thieves. Thieves are out there, you know, taking hubcaps off of chariots or whatever they did back then for nefarious works. And then whatever they did, and then they were coming into the church, and he said, those of you who have been stealing, he said, I want you to exchange that for hard work, which is a tough sell, I'm telling you, because hard work is hard work, and stealing is not that hard. That's why stealers steal. So, so I want you to exchange that for hard work so that you have something in your hands that you can give. Do you see the radical change there that he's, he anticipates? He anticipates you go from a me first, taker, 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 to a person now who works hard and gives and gives and gives. Radical transformation. And then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, early in my Christian life, I was uh, praying and fasting, trying to understand this passage of Scripture. And the Lord revealed to me at that time that in every case, when we go back to live the way we used to live, like Peter went back and, and went fishing, in every case, when we do that, the Spirit is grieved because we've given up ground that the Spirit has worked so hard to gain in our life, right? And so, so it's like being on a, a great workout regimen, a, a good diet, and then you just, you know, the holidays come and you just go nuts, you know, just crazy, you know. And it grieves your heart because you're the one that works so hard. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that's been working so hard to get you cleaned up to the place where he was. And he was so happy. The Lord was so happy. And now you backslid from it. And that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't weep and then walk away from you. It means that he grieves over you because you were sealed for redemption by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has committed himself to walk with you every bit of the way as you go through your life so that the Holy Spirit can work with you so that you don't have these frequent backsliders. You don't give up this ground, but rather you keep moving forward. This is a really powerful thing. He says to, to make sure your words are wholesome and, and are edifying so you can build up other people and, this is a really important insight, and you can bless people who are listening. 
That's really insightful, isn't it? That, that Paul says, yeah, you want to build your brothers and sisters up. Yeah, that's important, but, but you have to recognize also there's people listening. Is that how a Christian husband and wife respond? Is that how, is, there's children watching. Is that how Christians respond? And so when, when the world is watching, we recognize that's a part of our testimony. That's, that's who we are. And so this whole thing, he says, and then I want you to empty out all this malice and hatred and all this nasty, dark thinking. I want you to empty that out, and I want you to be kind one to another, tender and compassionate, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. This new person that I am has no right and has to, I have to sometimes shake it loose from my hands but I have to let go of all that negativity and embrace the fullness of what God has for me. And that is Polly Purebred. Right? Remember Polly Purebred? How many of you remember Underdog Cartoon? Yeah. Three, five, six, seven. So, so Polly Purebred was the, the, huh? Sweet Polly Purebred, right. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot her official title. Sweet Polly Purebred. She was, she had, she was just nothing, did nothing wrong, had never had an evil thought in her whole life. It was always just as pure as the driven snow. And we say, oh, come on, that's not reality. You're right. Yet, but God is working that sweetness, that purity on the inside of us. You ever just turn on a TV show and you're like, Man, why does this have to be so raunchy, right? I remember in the days when they, they would start making out, and then the next scene, he was sitting on the edge of the bed having a cigarette. I didn't go, geez, I wonder what they just did. Did they order a pizza? I didn't do that. I knew what was happening. And now you've got to see every, every you know, event that happens in the, in the whole thing, right? And then at the end of it, you're just like, you feel like, I need a brain bath. I need to go wash my head out, right? Why is this God is working this new creation? And just to change the rest of the world, part of it's that. Just so we can be good testimony to people around us, yeah, part of it's that. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. This is the freedom he wants to bring into you. So you're not being pulled down by the garbage of dark thinking in your life. You can be set free from it. Let's pray for that. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.